The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. A few years back, Rebecca and I took the kids to uh, SeaWorld, and I don't think I had been to SeaWorld since I was a kid and had gone there like on a field trip or something. And so like I, I had forgotten about SeaWorld, but I was excited because oh, since I had been there last, they had some pretty, they've built some pretty incredible roller coasters. And uh, when Rebecca and I go to a theme park, the stage of life we're in with little kids, the roller coasters we go on are things like It's a Small World. So I was excited to go on an actual real life thrilling roller coaster. And they have one there at SeaWorld where you, you sit down in the seat. And before they start taxing you up to the first drop, they then take the seat and they just go And now you are parallel to the ground, just facing the ground and they spin you all around. It is incredible if you like um, thrilling ro- roller coasters like Rebecca and I do. Um, it, was, it was an incredible experience. And even though I enjoyed all of those roller coasters, it was super fun and a blast to do with Rebecca, um, I think the thing that got me, I was not expecting how amazing the Orca show was. And that's a little bit strange that that would surprise me because it's kind of like their feature, you know, like you'd think like it's going to be good, okay, but I just had forgotten like how moving it was, you know, they. They started talking about the conservation effort and how they've rescued these orcas and how, uh, how they're working with them and learning about them. And, um, and as the show went on, you know, these, these huge, powerful animals, these killer whales, are doing just some incredible things. And they're all synchronized to music and we're watching it. And like the music is, is like crescendoing and they're like jumping in the air. And finally the last thing, like all the orcas are in the air and they splash down. And I'm like getting a little misty eyed, like watching this here. And I'm like, wow, why am I so moved by this show? And really I was taken back by these powerful animals and what human beings have been able to train them to do. What human beings have trained them to do. And you know, All throughout history, humans have tamed and trained animals. The ancient Egyptians actually trained baboons as like police animals. They would, these baboons would chase down bad guys and tackle them. Like, that does not sound like fun to be a bad guy in ancient Egypt. Um, The ancients talk about, some of the ancient Roman historians talk about how they had trained lions to actually hunt like hunting dogs and get like rabbits and bring them back to the one who who had tamed them. I mean, incredible. All throughout history, humans have tamed animals. And this concept is something that James in his book in chapter three, he talks about. And here's what he's going to say. I'm going to read it in just a second. But he says, as humans have trained all kinds of animals to do incredible things for generations, for millennia, you can train orcas, you can train baboons, you can train large cats. He says, you can tame all animals, but James says, man, no one can thoroughly, fully tame the tongue. There's no one who says, I've done it. I never mess up with what I say. Like every word of the tens of thousands I say, each day, each week, every word is precision, perfectly controlled. I I never mess up with what I say. No one can say that. And if you think about an animal and the power of an animal that has been tamed, 
He says, think of the power of the tongue. Now, in this, in this passage, he's told us so far that the tongue has incredible power for good and it has incredible power for bad. Last week, what we talked about is we underestimate the power of the tongue. We actually kind of just dismiss words. We overlook them. We think, oh, they're just empty words. You know, I, I know I don't get it right all the time. But what he says is, no, the power of words is beyond what we can imagine. He says they are like a forest fire. They can start whole fires. They can hurt people and hurt our own lives. And he says, so it would be foolish for each one of us to just say, ah, you know, sometimes I say the wrong thing. If words are that powerful, then every day we should work at channeling our words for good and not for evil. You say, how do I do that? How do we do that better? How can we leverage our words? How can we steward our words? How can we channel our words to do a lot of good rather than do a lot of bad? And what James is going to say is, to really understand this, we've got to consider the source. And this final truth that he's going to speak about the source of our words is absolutely so critical. I want you to open with me to James chapter 3. We're going to take a look at verse 7. James chapter 3. Look what he says in verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Here's what he says. He says exactly where we started. He says every different type of animal can be tamed, but there is no person that can thoroughly tame the tongue. There's no one that's like, hey, I'm done. I've got it. I've got it perfectly. So in other words, think of it like this. Imagine that our words, the things that come out of our mouths, imagine that our words, it's like owning an exotic pet. I want to tell you the story of a, of a woman by the name of Kelly Waltz. She lived in uh, Pennsylvania, and she and her husband had a number of exotic pets. They had an African lion, they had a, a panther, and they had a bear. And this bear they had rescued when it was a cub. They had had this bear for most of its life, and they cared for it every day. And they went through all the protocols when they got started, getting all the, the permits initially, and they had done everything the way you're supposed to, getting the training. And it was just an odd hob, um, habit that they had, an odd hobby that they had. And they're taking care of these animals. And one day she goes out. This is a number of years ago now. This is maybe over, a little over 10 years. One day she goes to the bear's cage. Now, they had had this bear for something like nine years, and it had gone from a cub being cared for every day by Kelly Waltz and her husband, and now this was a full-grown, a 350-pound bear. She walks into the cage. She does the same thing she did every single day. She takes the food, puts it over on one side of the cage. She goes to the other side of the cage to start cleaning the cage. And the neighbors put it like this. It was the strangest thing. She had done the same thing every day a thousand times. But on the thousandth and first time, things were different. While she was cleaning the cage, the bear that had only known her as an owner all its life turned on her, attacked her, and killed her. 
They were as surprised as anyone. And the local wildlife commission said, people have to remember, this is, these are wild animals. See, an exotic pet, while you might be able to train it to do certain things, you might get comfortable with it, you can never fully, you can never fully turn your back on an exotic pet because at its heart, it's really wild. And what James is saying is essentially the tongue is kind of like that. You can never wake up on a day and just not think about your words. You can never say, ah, you know, I say a lot of words. I don't think over them. No, he's like, at any moment, those words can do something very, very dangerous. In fact, he speaks about it like one particular type of exotic, dangerous animal. He says, our words are like a dangerous venom. Did you see that? The way our words affect people is like our words sink into people and it bleeds out that venom into their bodies, into their minds, into their emotions, and slowly wreaks havoc through them. See, here's the thing. This is just a review. Here's what we've been talking about. Words can do a whole world of harm. The words that we say, I mean, every one of us knows the words that have harmed our own selves. We, we've all had that, oh, me and my big fat mouth moment. I, I was in, a, in that interview and man, I just torpedoed the whole interview because I said the wrong thing. I was on that date and things were going well and then I said the wrong thing. Or man, I, I should not have spoke like that to my wife or to my, to my, my children because now it's, they've hurt me. And so, or now I've hurt the relationship and I'm feeling the, the, the consequences of that. Or maybe you're You've had that moment where I had that opportunity for my career, but because of my words, it hurt that opportunity. We know that words, our words hurt us, but we also know, we have to be reminded, but we know our words hurt others. We love to think that, oh, they're just words. They don't really take root. But he says, no, our words are like a venom. They can sink deeply into a spouse, deeply into a child deeply into a coworker, deeply into a friend. Man, our words are like a venom. He says in the previous verses, he says the word, our words are like a forest fire. He says they can, can be a spark that can start a whole inferno that can divide and tear down. So our words are so powerful. But he says something else, and this is, starting to get to kind of the key thing from this text. He says, our words are restless. And when I first read that, I was thinking, yeah, restless, like busy, like they never stop. And maybe some of you would say, hey, that's how my words are. My biggest problem is I just don't stop talking. And maybe you, you are that person or know someone like that. You're like, look, if I had a less quantity of words, I would say less bad things. It's just... I'm just saying too much. In fact, the scripture speaks of that. Listen to what Solomon says. Let me read you. This is Proverbs chapter 10. This is verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Another proverb that speaks to that, he says in Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Solomon, the wisest guy in history, says, hey, if you want to look wise, just stop talking. Just keep your mouth shut. That'll help. 
That'll, that'll be something that would be a benefit to you. Restless words, words where we're just always talking, filling the silence. He said, you know, it would help if we just said less words, but that's actually not what James is meaning here by restless words. In context, here's what he's talking about when it comes to, to restless words. He's talking about words that don't know where to land. Erratic words. Words that at one point are kind of going this way, words at another point are kind of going this way, words that at one point are saying this, and then flipping over and saying this. Duplicitous words, uh, two-faced words, words that really are fickle, they're kind of going back and forth, forth. He's talking about that kind of restless words, and he says that actually reveals something about our lives. Let's keep going. I want you to go to verse uh, 9. This is James chapter 3, verse 9. Here's what he says. What does it mean by restless words? With it, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. He says, here's what I mean by restless words. He says, if you're, he's talking to brothers and sisters. I don't know if you notice that he brought that back up. He says, I'm talking to you, my, my siblings. He's talking to you, his brothers and sisters. He's talking to the church. He's talking to Christians. And he says, Christians, we go to church and we sing. That's what we should do. Our worship leaders, they, they pick words that are praising the attributes of God. It's a beautiful thing that we do together. We're blessing the Lord. We're lifting up the Lord. He says, and then we go out and out of the same mouth that there's blessing, there's cursing. And he says, so which is it, Christian? Is it a are our mouths mouths of blessing or mouths of cursing? Now, let's just take a minute on this word cursing. Because as moderns, when we think of the word cursing, we usually think of one of two things. We think of like a curse, like in witchcraft, like a witch with a big cauldron, you know, putting weird things in there and creating a curse. That's not what's in view here. The other thing that we typically think of when we're talking about cursing is we typically Think of cursing like curse words, like bad words. Like um, every culture has a collection of letters that when it comes together in particular words, a culture deems those particular words to be foul and inappropriate. So maybe you have a small toddler and you are training that toddler um, to be potty trained you probably pick certain collections of letters to describe certain functions from a human that are appropriate for that toddler. You probably do not go up to that toddler and say, young child, please cease and desist from depositing your excrement in that diaper and channel it towards the toilet now. Probably don't do that. You come up with another collection of letters for the word excrement that is appropriate for a toddler. Ten years later, that toddler is maybe um, 11, 12, 13, and they're going to find another collection of letters for the same concept, and they're going to test it out because it makes them 
feel independent or makes them feel mature, and they're going to test that out. And whereas when they were little, there was one collection of letters that was okay and appropriate. Now when they're teenagers, they find another collection of letters really talking about the same concept, but we would say, no, that one is inappropriate. Go wash your mouth out with soap. Are you guys following me? Don't make me go any deeper into this subject, okay? Are you guys following me here? Okay, thank you. All right. So we think of curse words, but that's not really what he's talking about here either. He's not talking about words, collections of letters that are culturally deemed foul or inappropriate. But while we are on the subject, should Christians use curse words, I think the, uh, the obvious answer that even your grandmother told you is absolutely not. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So um, Christians, it's pretty obvious, but let's not skip over it either. It's pretty obvious that we want to be, if we're thinking about it, reaching our culture, if we're using the words that our culture and our generation has deemed foul and inappropriate, it's clearly, um, you know, it comes across as hypocritical. And they actually would say the same thing that James would say. Hey, how come in one minute you're talking about God and the next minute you're using that kind of language? But curse words is not what James is talking about here. He's talking about cursing words. What, what does that mean? Well, he, he's pitting it against blessing. He says, on one hand, you bless the Lord, and on the other hand, someone can curse another person. So what does he mean by cursing? Well, it's the opposite of blessing. What is blessing? When we bless the Lord, it's praise. We're thinking about his positive attributes. We're thinking about his strengths, all the ways that he is a blessing and a benefit to us. In the case of God, he has no weaknesses, but we're still kind of reveling in all of his incredible attributes, all of the ways that he's a blessing. And so we're lifting up the name of the Lord. We're lifting him up, and it is a blessing to his ears when we come together and bless the Lord and praise all of his attributes. When you on your alone time in your prayers are stopping to think about all of the ways that God is a blessing to you, all of the ways that the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is a blessing to you, all of the ways that Jesus and his presence in your life as your, as your king and as your savior, you're, as you're reminding and, and speaking those back to him, it is a blessing to him. Blessing is lifting someone up. We can do that for each other. We can focus on someone's strengths, focus on ways they are a blessing to us. A blessing is to lift someone up, build them up. Well, what's cursing? Well, it's just the opposite of that. It's not building someone up. It's tearing someone down. It's not focusing on their strengths. It's zeroing in on their weaknesses. It's picking at them. Maybe reducing that person down to just their weaknesses. Maybe celebrating them and reveling in them those are cursing words. Blessing words, like we do for the Lord, is building someone up. Cursing words 
is tearing someone down. And here's what's crazy is he says, um, to use cursing words, he says is hypocrisy. Because you're lifting up someone, you're lifting up God, a Christian, you're lifting up God with all of his incredible attributes. You're blessing God, but then you're tearing down, or we are tearing down when we use cursing words, someone made in God's image. That's the reason he gives for not doing it. He doesn't say what you're saying is untrue. He's saying the words you're using are tearing down someone who's made in the image of God. That means every single human being, whether they're a Christian or not, has some part of their life that reflects the beautiful, praiseworthy image of God. And so to lift up God and tear down a human would be to tear down someone in God's image. And he says that's duplicitous, two-faced. But then he adds in there in this section, brothers and sisters, even more so if that person that I might be tearing down is a fellow Christian. I'm not just tearing down someone who's made in the image of God. I'm tearing down a brother or a sister in Christ. I'm speaking about someone who's a child of God. And he says, man, that shouldn't be. Now, maybe we were tempted to say, yeah, but they, they say they're a child of God, but they are certainly not acting like it. You know, I mean, they, they might call themselves a Christian, but their life does not live that out. But you and I both know what Jesus said. We're not the ones that judge that. Jesus judges that. He is the judge. We're not the judge. In fact, all of the, what Jesus says is judge not, lest you be judged. And what all those passages about bearing fruit as a reflection of being a, a genuine believer, those are for our benefits to look at our life not to take the role of a judge and judge other people's lives. In other words, this is what he's saying, and this is pretty convicting. There may be a Christian that's like, oh, I never use curse words. I stopped doing that when I was 11. You know, once I came to know Jesus, I don't use curse words. I don't use bad words. But James says, if you're using cursing words, then there's a major blind spot because those words are being used to tear someone down. And if they're, <clears throat> if they're a son or daughter of God, they're his child. Look, at the, look what he says in verse 11. <clears throat> look what he says in verse 11. He says this. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now pause there with me. Here's what he says. If we truly want to take seriously the power of our words, he says, here's what we've got to do. We've got to consider the source of those words. The source of those words are coming up from our heart. Here's how Jesus put it. This is Jesus' own words in Luke chapter 6. Check this out. He says this, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure 
produces evil. Now watch this. Look at this, Christian. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. In other words, it's like this. When I was a kid, oh, we took a family trip out to uh, Yellowstone, and we saw you know, all that beautiful national park. And one of the things we saw was the geyser old faithful. And uh, yeah, here we go. And several times every day, I think it's right now something like 20 times a day, it changes after sometimes earthquakes will change its frequency, but about 20 times a day. So a little over an hour in between uh, times that it just erupts with all of this water and steam. And as many times as I had seen it depicted, as many times as I had thought about this old faithful geyser. It was still incredible to just kind of stand and watch ground that seemed totally quiet. And then all of a sudden to just, just see for, from only the acts of nature, just water shooting up into the air. The water can go up to 130, 140 feet into the air. You can see how small those little people are um, watching it. It can shoot into the air. The water is something over, something like over 200 degrees Fahrenheit. The steam is over 350 degrees Fahrenheit. But as you can imagine, there's a spring under the surface of the ground. And every now and then, that steam, every, every 70 minutes or so, the steam just builds and builds and builds, and the water and steam erupts out of this hole in the ground. And what Jesus is saying, and James is following after him by saying this, he's saying, our words are like that. Our words is just the heart boiling up. It's just there's something in our heart that then overflows out of our mouths and into our words. And here's why this is so significant when we're thinking about cursing words, words that tear someone down. Here's why this is so important. Often we excuse our cursing words based on how deserving the person is that we're cursing. We see our cursing words as a reflection of that person. Well, you don't understand, that person is legitimately a terrible person. You don't understand, like that person is a wicked person. You don't understand, I don't want anyone else to be hurt by that person. You don't know the damage that that person is doing. And so we think of our cursing words as reflecting the object of our cursing and what Jesus and James is saying, our cursing words do not reflect the object of who we're cursing, it reflects the source of our cursing. It doesn't reveal that person, it reveals our hearts. It reveals something broken in our hearts. It reveals a, a distance from how God views that person. God, it, it, it shows that our hearts are not aligned with God's heart for that person who loves them like a child and who sees that person in many cases like a brother or sister in, my, in our lives, in my life, in your life. And so here's what James is saying. Those cursing words where you're tearing someone down, it may be true. It may be deserved. But it does not reflect a heart that is aligned with God's heart for another human being made in his image. Very simply, what is this text saying? Big idea. It's very direct. Don't tear anyone down 
with your words. Don't tear anyone down with your words. Don't tear anyone down with your words. Now I want to look at a couple of different ways we tend to use cursing words, but before we do that, can we just take that one level deeper? Let's roll all the way back to Genesis 1, the first opening episode of the Bible. God has made everything, and he keeps blessing his creation. It's good. Day two, it's good. Day three, it's good. Day four, day five, day six. He makes human beings, male and female, in his image, and he says, it's very good. And then it specifically says, and he blessed them. He made a beautiful, blessed creation. He spoke a blessing over creation, especially men and women, humans. A few pages later, chapter 3, the enemy slithers into the garden, questions and tears down God's words. Adam and Eve fall into temptation. They disobey God, eat the forbidden fruit. And God then, at the end of Genesis chapter 3, explains that there are consequences. They've just let loose sin into the world. And some of the words that God uses, he says to the serpent, he says, you're cursed. He says to humans, he says, even the ground is cursed because of what's happened. There's a curse over creation. But God gives us a little hint all the way back in Genesis 3 that there will come one who will do battle with this serpent, with the enemy, and will ultimately destroy the enemy. And we get all the way to Revelation chapter 21, and Jesus is this conquering hero that has destroyed the enemy. And what does he say? He says, behold, I make all things new. Behold, now is a time when there's no more tears, no more pain, no more night. What has Jesus done as the firstborn of a renewed, recreated creation? He has restored God's blessing over creation. That's what we're waiting on, and that's what we are working towards as believers. In other words, there is a curse over creation, but we are to be agents of blessing over creation. And James is saying, consider the power of your words. Are your words, are my words, agents of the blessing that God is trying to breathe over his creation? Or do we let our words be agents of the curse? Do we let our words be tearing down marring and maiming people like the enemy wants to do. May our words be agents of blessing, not agents of cursing. So maybe if you are a note taker, maybe you can jot down a couple things, four things, ways that we use cursing words. Not curse words, but cursing words. Four different types of cursing words. Here's the first one, grumbling. Grumbling is tearing down a leader. It is grumbling against an authority. Something talked about all throughout Scripture. It could be grumbling against a boss. It could be grumbling against a civic leader. Grumbling against a president, a previous president, a candidate. It could be grumbling against your HOA. 
It could be grumbling. Uh, it could be grumbling against a church leader. It could be grumbling against a small group leader. It could be grumbling against them. Uh, it could be grumbling in any context where there is a leader. It could be grumbling against any person in your life who is in authority over you. That is called grumbling. And you may have a legitimately terrible boss. But what God says, what this says, is don't tear them down with your words. Don't be an agent of the curse. That's not a, your words are not a reflection of that person. It's a reflection of your heart. So if you feel the impulse to, be, to use cursing words towards your boss or someone in authority, do the work in your heart to trust that God has allowed that person to have some measure of authority over you in this season. That's what the scripture says. There is never a time when there is an authority and God's like, wait, who got promoted into that position? Wait, who just got elected? Wait, who, who just got put into this, this various opposition in local leadership? He, he, there's never a time that God is caught by surprise. He's too sovereign for that. And by the way, he is on the throne. Amen. Nothing changes that. So Christians, when we grumble, when we grumble to our friends, about any authority over our life, when we grumble on social media about a political leader, we're tearing down. And can I, and that's cursing words. Can I challenge you to think as a missionary to South Florida? Can you think about this with me? You are called to be a missionary to South Florida. As there was a day, I believe, truly, there was a day when Republicans and Democrats could sit down together and have healthy dialogue and challenge each other, and friends that had differing political views, differing medical views, or whatever, different culturing views could sit down and have a healthy dialogue, iron sharpening iron. That is not our present moment. Unfortunately, with the way it's so divided, and you've felt this in the last couple years, words that, words that disagree are inflammatory and stir up. So can I just challenge you to think like a missionary? If you know that those words are going to cost you friendships and maybe even relationships with family members, can I challenge you to think like a missionary? Is it worth disagreeing over those secondary issues? rather than making your words evangelizing for the gospel. Because I don't think in our present moment you can do both. And, and ask yourself, what do you actually think the hope is for our city? The hope is for our nation and the hope is for our world. It's Jesus. Leverage your words for Jesus do not let cursing words that are grumbling tear apart an opportunity to evangelize for the hope of the world. Grumbling is the first one. <clears throat> Second one, slander. 
we think of slander in a legal sense, and of course there is a, a legal sense, but it's also anytime we're just openly tearing someone down. We do this to enemies. We do this to rivals. We do this with people very openly that we, that we see as a threat to us, maybe at work, maybe in the neighborhood, maybe in a friend group, maybe in our church. We, we often will be very open tearing someone down. That is open public cursing words, whether that can be on social media, it can be disguised as a prayer request, disguised as a concern. It is cursing words that openly tear someone down. Number three is similar. It's gossip. Gossip is basically the same as slander. It's a cursing word that tears someone down. It's just slander does it in the open. Gossip does it in secret. And what we know is gossip hurts ourselves just as much as it hurts the people around us. Because if, if, some, if I can gossip to you, then you're wondering in the back of your mind, then are you later with someone else going to gossip about me? So behind closed doors, one-on-one discussions, over the phone, over text message, in your, in your group, in your small group, in the break room at work, speaking and tearing down someone behind their back is destroying your work environment, and you probably know that. It may be destroying your friend group as you are, as gossip lines can kind of divide into this group is against this group. It creates factions. Christian, that tears down, does not build up. That's a type of cursing word. There's grumbling, there's slander, there's gossip, and the last one we'll talk about is venting. And this is something we talked about a little bit last week, but let's take it, take it another level down. Venting is when we look at our words as if we just need to blow off steam, and we usually do this behind closed doors with someone where we just feel the right to say all of the angry things that we want to say. And we actually think that a good friend is someone who will listen and take all of our venting. And often as we're venting, what we're doing as we're venting to a friend is that there, it's, it's a mutual friend of the person we're angry at. And so we're not just venting steam, we're bringing this friend onto our side and we're not just venting. It's not just harmless. We can't just simply say, thanks, I needed to vent because we're doing damage and violence to this person's relationship. And the Bible says that we're passing bitterness on. It's like we're sowing seeds is the image that it uses. We're just planting seeds in that person's heart. Because if you're the receptor of all that vent- venting, don't be fooled to think that your heart can rise above what the Bible says happens when someone is venting bitterness to you. It's sowing seeds of bitterness in your heart as well. And if we're venting, all it's doing is revealing our hearts. The overflow of all of this anger just shows the boiling unhealth in our hearts. See, knowing the source of our words helps us deal with our words where we need to deal with them, when our hearts are wrong. But it's not... Remember, it's not all negative. Our words have incredible power for good. Christian, every day, each of us, church, 
are let loose in our city, into neighborhoods, into workplaces, into friend groups, many with a social media presence. And we're set, let loose in our families. And we have the power, under the power of the Holy Spirit, as he's transforming our hearts to be hearts aligned with him, to let like a river of life flowing out of us to speak words of love, words of joy, words of peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Church, imagine if the church of South Florida rose up understanding the power of words, ruthlessly shutting down, saying, I will not be an agent of the curse, using words that tear down, but I am going to leverage my words that the kingdom of heaven may be established on earth as it is in heaven. And what if we consecrated our words every day and we said to Jesus, we said every morning, we said, Holy Spirit, would you take over my words and would you use them to flood this city with life? Would they flood the branch that I work at, the office that I work at, the station that I work at, the school that I work at? Would you just flood the, this arena with life-giving, building up words? Would I be a presence on social media? Would I be a presence to my spouse and my children? Would I be a presence to my extended family? Would I use words that you use, Jesus, to lift up and build up? And imagine if the church of a city rose up leveraging the power of the words in their city. Imagine what could be done for good, especially if they're using the words, they're not getting distracted, but they're the beautiful feet that are taking the good words, the good news to their city. Imagine what could be done. Here's what I want to do. I want to end on this moment. Would everyone grab um, that note card? I want you to write down one of two verses that are going to come up here on the screen. I want you to pick one of these words, one of these verses, and I want you to consider writing it down on that note card, and I want you to put it in a memorable place this week, and I want you to, to, to memorize it. Let's memorize of these together. You could pick Psalm 1914. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, that's the source, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk, no tearing down talk, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only, only exclusively such as is good for building up, only what builds up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Maybe you pick and you write down Psalm 19.14. Maybe you pick Ephesians 4.29. I want to encourage you to take that note card, put it on your dashboard, put it uh, on your desk. Maybe you um, make it your home screen on your phone. Maybe you uh, put it somewhere in the morning where you can review it. Maybe you put it up on your mirror. But just review phrase by phrase one of these verses 
and let him start changing your heart, the source out of which our words flow. Imagine what he can do through words that are offered to him every day. Because here's what it says in Galatians chapter 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who, who is hanged on a tree. Why would the idea of using cursing words rather than blessing words be so out of place for us as a believer? It's because the curse has been lifted from your life, Christian, at great cost to your dear Savior, your King, Jesus. He became a curse to lift the curse in our lives, breathing a blessing over you and wants to use you as an agent of that blessing throughout our city. Maybe today you want to take a step and you're realizing, look, um, I want to be on the same mission that Jesus has us on, and I, I want to accept that work that Jesus has done in my life. Maybe you've said for weeks, I've been wondering if I'm ready to take that step of following Jesus, but I'm ready. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Well, here's what I want to challenge you to do. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you're ready to make Jesus your Lord, your Savior, your King today, if you're ready to make Jesus your God and to spend your life serving Jesus, if you're ready to accept what Jesus has done on your behalf to save you through his death and resurrection, then I want to lead you in a simple prayer. You can make this your moment of salvation. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Whether you're here or at Cooper City or watching online, just give your life to Jesus today. You can silently just pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Jesus, I surrender my life. I make you my king. I make you my God, my Lord. And I will follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if that was your prayer just then, I'm going to ask you to do a simple thing. Grab your phone, whether you're here or online, and go to cityrev.org faith. It's going to ask you a couple questions because we are going to mail you a Bible. We want to get a Bible in your hands, the perfect word of God, so you can begin this journey. If you're here, you can just stop by guest services. You can walk out of here with a Bible today. Just fill out that Get Connected card in the seat back right in front of you and take that to guest services. That's the table in the lobby. Say, hey, today was the day I put my faith in Jesus. They will celebrate with you. Put a Bible in your hands today. Hey, church, the, the cry of our heart as a church is that we would see a mighty work of God here in our city. And so we're going to lift up a song that asks God to move throughout our city. Ask him to bring revival to our city. So we're going to close with that song. Would you stand with me as we sing? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.